So, I've read a book, which I rather enjoyed, which was Company of One. So that's about making companies that are rather small in the sense of few people in them. Not necessarily actually one person, but definitely a focus on on not growing (laughs) so much. Not growing unnecessarily. And I think you... I don't know if you've read that, but I get the feeling that you have a similar sentiment. I haven't read that book, but I've listened to way too much podcasts about small-scale business. So I I think I kind of started out on I fell down into the cool aid fountain of uh, Hacker News uh, when I was a wee lad or... Well, I think I was 20 years old or something. Yeah. Uh, so I read that when uh, I was bored at my job. I think this is so long time ago, so I can say this now. And I really got hooked on Paul Graham's writings and all the uh, work day and night for five years and then cash out and then dot, dot, dot or something. <laughs> they never really said what you should do after you had cashed out. Maybe start a incubator or something. It's usually dot 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 profit, not dot 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 happiness. Have you noticed that? Indeed. I suppose is profit equal to happiness? Can you replace one with the other? I don't think they're equivalent. I think uh, lack of profit can make you very unhappy. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. I know that can happen. Oh but... yes. I have also seen a profit not necessarily make any particular happiness. Yeah. But anyway, sure. Uh, after that, I, I fell down into the small scale business, bootstrapping, all that uh, Kool Aid fountain. So I guess I'm there still. Mm. Yeah, I think it's called indie hackering yeah. now. That's, exactly. Which, like, I like indie and I like hacker, but I'm not sure I like indie hacker. Huh. Mostly because it's uh, so much about sort of finding a business and making that work, da 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 da. It's a little bit, it feels a lot like it's uh, fast and loose and with, like, it's, it's sort of the next iteration of startup hype, I feel like, but on a small scale. So there, there's something about the indie hacker movement and sort of the indie hacker site and the indie hacker podcast that I don't quite gel with. But I do like indie and I do like hackers and I do like the idea of running small businesses. So conceptually, we should be aligned. I think it's, it's about the tone and uh, sort of... Uh, yeah it's a little bit it's a little bit much sometimes maybe probably all the kool-aid yeah i i could it be that you're swedish (laughs) and the the most of the in the hacker crew crowd movement is american i think that could be part of it but i'm also not the most swedish swede uh yeah i definitely have some of those tendencies to sort of toot my own horn and 
talk about what I'm doing and like I'm not all that humble and I'm not very I'm not very reserved I don't keep things to myself all that much so yeah I, I think it's I think it's more about that I don't see it as a genuine movement but it really really wants to be I guess it's a movement or I guess there is movement but I don't feel any sort of group cohesion I don't see like oh this is the shared values of indie hackerdom there are some but some people are in it for the cash some people are in it for uh, sort of building their their ideal lifestyle some of them just really are really really keen on a particular idea and i don't know like indie for me is very much about uh, being a bit fiercely independent or at least distrust of of larger organizations and the hacker ethos is also sort of it, it comes with a a whole bunch of values and not everyone subscribes to all of them but yeah yeah it's something rings false about sort of indie hacker dumb to me and i don't know exactly what i can't quite pin it down but it seems i think it seems a little bit too commercial for me well it is about making money yeah yeah it is so, so but mm, yeah so it's not I'm not necessarily against what they are up to but I've tried to sort of take part in the community there and I I just don't see it I just don't feel it I just don't gel with it and it's not that I don't like business it's not that I don't like sort of doing my own thing but it's also like the indie hacker world seems to be very into the no code or shipping sort of MVPs. And I'm decidedly not super into that. <laughs> That's not exactly the type of focus I want for my business, I think. Hmm. I, If I recall correctly, you written a blog post a long time ago, or maybe some years ago, about bespoke software where it's, uh, it's a lot of artisanal about... software exactly artisanal software yeah is is that the antithesis to mvps is that how you want to how you want to work not like yes that's sort of how i want to work um ideally i would like to build good software and an mvp is not good software an mvp is solving a problem minimally it, it can survive it can do the thing but it can do almost nothing else it can barely do the thing usually that's that's usually where an mvp is at or that's usually what you ship initially with it with building your your self-funded SaaS or whatever and you have to start somewhere so i I don't exactly begrudge that, but I also don't think maybe that should be held in the highest regard. Sort of ship it, ship that, and then move forward. Like, yeah, I don't mind someone shipping a minimal product, but I have some concerns about a ton of the 
the ideas that are sort of swarming around the indie hacker space where, for example, no code. I don't think that's necessarily sustainable. And I think it will eventually lead to a lot of products going uh, away that people relied on because they are built on... <laughs> They're, they're built as a sort of web of mishmashing, like a web and, and mish, mishmash of servers and services that the person selling the product doesn't necessarily control any of it. That seems, that seems shaky to me. But I do like the idea of making a small business around building software and working with software development. That I like. It's just... Just like indie hackerdom, uh, it's not resonating to me. And uh, I think it's something about the value system that doesn't line up with mine. And I couldn't I couldn't say exactly. But yes, the artisanal approach is, appeals to me more. Like if you, what you see if you look at apps in the Apple ecosystem, you will see a lot of people doing painstaking software development work to make an app that does something exquisitely well. It does a fairly small thing really well, or it does a set of things that is fairly well sort of uh, carved, out, carved out as a niche well. And like the design needs to be top-notch. That, that's the kind of audience that is there, but there's also an audience that's willing to pay there. And yeah, that, that, that approach, I think that ethos that I see there appeals more to me or the sort of scrappy um, open source ethos where, but uh, that that's usually, so scrappy open source is poor, usually poor business. Uh, this corporate or open source can be good business. Uh, that's not my jam either. So yeah, it's, I'm, I'm picky. I think is the, <laughs> the summary. Yep. What do you like about, uh, are you are you into indie hackers? Do you it's, like to hack your indies? Yeah, I love hacking my indies. Indie five hundred hack hack hack. Uh, I'm, I think I'm mostly into the just consuming uh, <laughs> entrepreneur porn. Uh, the whole whole um, because it makes for a very good story. Yeah, and I like good stories, and. It's also inspiring, and that's dangerous, <laughs> because it would be kind of cool to own a small business that made enough money for me to just live on sustainably for, uh, yeah, <laughs> eternity. Yeah. And so I didn't have to work that much, and I could work on things that I, I loved instead of working on things that other people loved. With that said, I really like my current job. Yeah. So um, uh, I kind of lucked out there, and yeah. So it's I don't. It feels like a good idea, but I don't really know what's what the path forward is. Maybe start a blog or something like the <laughs> early two thousands <laughs> dream of how to earn money. Yeah. So both of us have <clears throat> have and or do run uh, small software businesses. So you've done consulting off and on while you were studying. Yep. 
and I do currently run do consulting in a a small mixture of other things. I think the company of one book was useful to me in shaping a bit how I think about what I do. For example, for for a fairly decent while now I've had a clear number in mind for how much income do I need to generate. Uh, so right now I have a team with salaries that means like after salaries are paid how much is it that I need for uh, for whatever my ambition is so that's uh, in this case it's a very comfortable living for me and my wife that's that's my goal that that's sort of the level and I figured out a number that will give me that and that's been my target for for what the business should bring in. And the reason I said, uh, <laughs> like, it's atypical for businesses to set a target for how much money to earn and then not try to grow that number. But what I would want to do is to, to rather keep that number the same or grow it very slowly and reduce the amount of work I need to do, the the amount of work I have to do, and instead find uh, space for for the things I really really want to do. Like I I like my job. I love working the way I do. It's working very well for me in in many ways. But if you're intentionally running a business, you're always striving for something you're always intending something with the business i think i guess you could sort of just do just do the work and make sure you keep having work and just doing that work and for certain businesses maybe that's that's all you need to do maybe plumbing is like that i i don't know plumbing as a business but i imagine i imagine you could just be a plumber and do plumbing day in and day out if you decide to do a plumbing business but that's not how I approach business. I've always had I always have goals in mind whatever I do. So I rather than constantly be aspiring to pull in more money, which almost instantly will lead to working more. Because that is one quick way to just like optimize for revenue or optimize for income. Setting a number to reach and then trying to hold that number and optimize for other things that will probably bring me more joy. That's That's been interesting and it's been very useful because the goal has been so clear and I don't feel like it's going to move. And that's been something that I picked up from, from Company of One, which is the idea that what's enough? How much do you actually need? And what do you do if you get what you need? That's interesting. I think it's a very sound way of doing business or yeah, shaping the kind of business you want to do. To not go, I want to grow 10% every year. Yeah. Because that will hurt. <laughs> yeah, I also have ideas about the the kind of growth I'm okay with and the kind of growth I don't want. I brought on employees and I had a hesitation about that. 
I still do have a slight hesitation about that, but I'm very happy with the ones I have brought on. So I'm figuring out how, how that works with my with my plans and how that works with Underjord as a business and an idea. But I don't want a lot of employees because a lot of employees is where you lose track of people. It's where it gets really hard to keep culture strong to... Like, it seems almost impossible to keep something feeling delightful and fun and interesting, challenging, good type when you grow. I don't want to bring people into my businesses like, yeah, it's okay, it's all right. That That's not what I want in my business. That's not what I want in my life, mostly. Uh, that's not how I how I want to roll, and I don't expect people that work with or for me to share exactly my ideas, my values, my my sort of enthusiasm for making me money. Uh, that's that that'd be weird. But I want there to be a certain something to it, and I think sustaining sort of the magic of of a thing is much harder larger it gets yeah i've seen that in the in the bigger places i worked were they magical not very much magic well the magic were in other in other ways there was some kind of magic in the organization that held everything together that made everything work but it didn't make me happy there was some kind of time spell where everything took twice as long yep exactly no but the thing is to not sort of get too binary about what's good and bad, like I don't think my way of thinking about business should be everyone's way. Because there are certain things you will never be able to achieve by keeping, for example, a low headcount. I don't think you can build a like package delivery service that spans the nation with a low headcount. I would love to try. It would be very slow. It's like the the postal service really, really probably needs to be a bunch of people. Many factories require tons of people to make to make what they make. Uh, I'm just not super interested in that problem space. Like that, that's the most probably nicest interpretation I can put forth about large organizations, especially sort of in my realm, like coding and software. Because I find that I find them so so often absurd, or they tend towards an, a slow absurdity uh, as they grow. There's a specific type of problem you're you're tackling if you want to build a large organization, and I don't want to build a large organization. I don't want to tackle that problem. I don't want to. I don't want to lose uh, track of individual people. <laughs> And you have to have sort of that perspective if you're if you're running a a two hundred people company. Like maybe you know all the names, but you don't know all the people. And I think it's going to be very hard to hard to feel feel like you're a scrappy little ha- group of hackers if you're if you're two hundred of them. Huge group of scrappy hackers. Yeah, but the idea of, for example, like. 
yeah, the the Hacker News Kool Aid and the indie hacker and like building a small business, maybe building a product where then you just maintain the product and it grows slowly and you make an income that can replace what you would do as a consultant or as a in-house developer somewhere. That's a really cool idea. And I think that's why there is this overlap of sort of entrepreneurship and software development because in the digital realm there is essentially nothing that a software developer can't do they might be really terrible at it but at least sort of we have the fundamental building blocks for making the web and software do things in a way that like if you're a designer but not a but not a developer you don't have quite that possibility if you're a text editing genius you can probably you're probably gonna still have a hard time building a product like uh, building a SaaS that really uh, showcases your your editing skill you're probably going to end up doing sort of consulting or productized services or something like that because it's hard to or there, there's a lot of things that go into building a product, but at a foundational level, most like if you're a web developer, even if you're a newly minted one straight out of boot camp, you have the foundational tools needed to start just building something that could be a huge business or a decent sized business. You m- might fail. That's that's certainly an option. But, but you have that possibility, and it's. I think that's alluring to a lot of people. It's it definitely is to me. I've always wanted to build all kinds of stuff, and uh, that's how I fell into programming. I was trying to do things. Yeah, and then there are two other parts: is finding people who want to pay you for you doing those things, either bespoke or in more well, manageable chunks, and then convincing those people that they really should pay you. So there are, there are kind of many, many parts to this. It's not just building something and hope that people will show up. Yeah, that's typically not the advice these days, at least. <laughs> like, build it and they <laughs> will come. Like, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Probably not. They're busy. Uh, maybe they don't know that they have the problems you're solving for them. I, I think developers certainly have the foundational building blocks for, for building the thing. Uh, but there's also parts of sort of typical developer culture that are almost antithetical to managing to market and sell something. We can't speak to the users, you know. <laughs> Probably shouldn't. Yeah. That's cheating. Yeah. We need to use the the brainwave receiving devices, connect them to the Thunderbolt thingy and uh, just build this amazing program that turns the brainwaves into a profitable SaaS. Because asking questions is is awkward. (laughs) Oh, yes, it's so awkward. People might answer them. Yeah, maybe they won't even say what you want them to say. Indeed. That's super annoying. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think that's been that's been a journey for me in the last maybe three years or so, where I've realized that I don't mind being partially a marketer, as long as I'm the kind of market I want, kind of marketer I want to be. It's like I I want to keep a high level of integrity, but I don't I don't want to pretend that I'm not trying to reach more people. Like I definitely want to reach more people. That's part of the fun of what I do. Um, both the both the feedback and seeing the numbers go brr. Uh, which they do ever so slowly. It's more like... It's hard to do that sound slowly, honestly. Yep. It's more like... You sound like one of those... uh, Why do I only know words in Swedish? Tendekule motorer. I don't know what that is. Uh, I've heard of it, but I don't know what that is. It's an an ancient engine. I think you can run it on anything. So I guess that's a good analogy for your business. But yeah, and then like sales, if you want to freelance, it really helps if you're willing to have good sales conversations. And good sales conversations, thankfully, don't have to be sort of smarmy, sleazy things. That's not typically how I try to do it. Uh, But it turns out I seem to be okay at sales because I'm doing well. Huh. Is I, I have my idea about sales, the good parts of sales at least, is that I try to find if I can deliver something of value to a person or a business. And then eventually trying to find out how much they are willing to pay for that value. And hopefully that value is more than they are willing to pay and what they are willing to pay is more than I, than my lowest something, something. Um, is that kind of your approach too? Or what's, from what direction are you? So initially I did not have a sales approach when I, in my business. It's, I, I didn't think actively about how I was going to do sales. I just had conversations and made, made something come out of it. Later I've, I've sort of read up on and listened to Jonathan Stark a fair bit because he does the value pricing thing, which which is nice if you don't want to charge by the hour. And charging by the hour is sort of a dead end with a <laughs> with a steeply diminishing return on sort of how how far can you push your rate. And there are always bigger companies that are charged less per hour, so it's meh. Yeah, yeah. It's not a it's not a great place to be rather it's a it's a perfectly fine very feasible very sustainable place to be uh, but it it didn't quite sit right with me it never really has like if anyone is keeping tabs on how much time I'm working I'm a little bit annoyed because I know I'm putting effort in and a fair bit of it and my time spent has very little correlation with with valuable results um it's i'm bursty and i'm uh, uneven uh, and most of most of the value i bring come from sort of a mishmash of experiences and explorations i've done 
that I did not do on this particular company's time. And I'd rather sell the value of my experience and skills than I would sell my time, strictly. Same here. And that's, uh, uh, that's an interesting thing. But the more, the more sort of high profile you want to be, and you have to be sort of high profile to do some kind of value pricing or have that kind of non-typical sales conversation and negotiate contracts that are not what a company sort of expects. And there's uh, there's a lot of good stuff in Jonathan Stark's talk about the sort of the why conversation, which is the sales approach that he proposes as a good solution, where there are a few questions like uh, that you should ask, uh, a few whys, like why do you want to do this at all? Okay, that's a good foundation for any conversation. Like, okay, you want to do a project where we build this thing. All right, why? And then why now? Couldn't it wait? Couldn't you put it off into the future? And then there's why me? I'm not going to be the cheapest option. And couldn't you outsource this to someone else? The thing with these conversations is you're trying to, you're pressing the client kindly on a few things. Like, is this worth doing at all? Do you expect a return on investment on this? Is this important? Because if it's not important, they're not going to be willing to pay significant money, really. Or they're going to be really annoying about it. (laughs) Yeah. And then why now? feeds into is this urgent or could this just as well wait why is it now if there's not a good answer to why it should be done now oh we had some spare time da, 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 da. then there's no sense of urgency and there's probably that also lessens the sort of intensity of the need and then the why me and actually trying to sell them on on like bringing up and looking at what some some would really rather not their clients think about, like, oh, but maybe you could hire someone from a cheaper country to do it more cheaply. And usually it's this is where you get the best responses about why they want you and why you, where you sort of figure out what what is it they actually see as a value with you. So maybe it's that they've seen what you done for someone else or maybe you came recommended maybe it's that you're in their town and they find they want to work with someone local who they can look in the face and talk to or maybe it's just that you've made a good impression and they trust that you understand what they want done or maybe it's that you don't seem desperate for the work with the questions you've asked and now they really want you (laughs) because you seem good you can seem capable like the questions themselves are good in that they bring up all of the biggest things that a client could say about why they'll bail why they shouldn't hire you and you bring them up and you discuss them and you essentially take the position of you probably shouldn't do this you probably shouldn't do it with me and you probably shouldn't do it now 
And if they have reasons why it should be done, why it should be done soon, and why they want you to do it, they've essentially told you that it's it's important, that you're an important part of it, and then they see a value in what you're bringing to the table. It's you're you're getting the a very clear explanation of the value of the whole thing. Not necessarily in monetary terms, but at least in the business terms. And I, I think that's nice. Also in that there's a there's a bit of a judo flip of honesty there where you're not really trying to sell them. And if you are actually really keen to get the work, you probably won't do this very well. <laughs> most good negotiation, most good sales hinge on being willing to walk away. Because if you're not willing to walk away, if you're not willing to say, no, this is a bad fit, that will color everything you do in that sales call or in that conversation. And I think it, it will color it to the in a negative sense. Yeah. You will you will end up wanting to please or or sort of align yourself. And uh, typically, I when I've tried this, it doesn't ruffle feathers. Rather, people are like, "Oh, yeah, we really should discuss why this is good at a why this is important and why we want to do this at a foundational level." Let's let's discuss that. And I've I've only had good responses. I haven't done this all that many times because I've been very busy, uh, but. But it's, it's felt good when I've had those conversations, for sure. Well, you're helping them think by asking those questions. Yeah. And just helping people think is worth quite a lot of money. And especially if they can, even if you or they come to the conclusion, maybe both, that it wasn't a good fit. It, this is not a good idea. It's not... not <laughs> it's not a very good timing. It's not, yeah, all that. I think they will go away from that conversation or series of conversations happy. And they will get back to you when it is a good fit. Yeah. Like you've you've shown integrity and clarity uh, in in what's very often like mystery meat, weirdo situations where you're people end up negotiating to the bone because they're very uncertain about outcomes and because outcomes are difficult in software. Oh yes, it's super hard. Yeah, and like everyone's guessing that if we do this that will probably be good. Yeah. And providing any type of sort of certainty or clarity of purpose in in conversations around software development is it's like a breath of fresh air, unfortunately. Indeed. On the other hand, if you can provide that fresh air, you'll have... <laughs> that's your unique selling point. <laughs> yeah. It's, so very early in, in my <laughs> software development uh, life, I was told, like, oh, but you're a developer that you can bring to a customer. <laughs> Damn. And... That's uh, like I, I've been to to customers and had tagged along to sales meetings and been in conference rooms when trying to figure out what they need and what they want and if, how feasible it is and all of that. And I sort of like that challenge. I was never very attentive to to the sales part of it, 
which is also so i think an engineering focused or a builder focused mindset is pretty good for for sales in certain ways sometimes you definitely miss the business value in thinking about all the cool things you would build to make it work but there's also a lot of trust typically generated when you see when someone is sitting there and talking about the the issue and they they note that the person is like making a lot of notes uh throwing out some options throwing out ideas that kind of thing so if you're good about thinking on your feet technically i think that's a decent foundation for thinking on your feet i guess as a as a salesperson i mean i don't really draw a line between uh what i do as a like the business side of doing business and the sort of technical engineering side of doing doing my business because it's all sort of weird interesting puzzles like i don't i don't enjoy admin all that much and i've i've outsourced a bunch of it to my uh, darling wife <laughs> so i don't love all parts of business because business is admin business is salaries business is taxes and i don't care about that but i do like sort of some of the some of the money wrangling things you can do because that's a little bit like a resource oriented board game and then there's then there's just things like making like networking and finding people and making connections and like oh this company is looking for someone like this and that company or that person said he was sick of company x so he's going to leave uh, and he has a skill set that matches up Ooh, i want to make this connection because that would help this person and that person and then they will both like me <laughs> not for manipulation reasons like i i want people to like me that's that's one of one of the things it sounds like you're a human how does it feel it's super awkward yeah i also feel super awkward as a human so we have lots in common there do you think you want to actually do business uh, like create a software business considering you're you're consuming all the content but Do you want to do you think you want to live that life? I don't know, it seems extremely stressful. And I'm not very good at stress. So I would have to hack the concept of creating a business and and shop out the part uh which is stressful, I guess. What part do you expect to be stressful are there parts that you know to be stressful or are there parts that you expect to be stressful i think the parts i expect to be stressful is there seems to be an emotional roller coaster regardless of what kind of business at least in the beginning so uh, if i would do a consultancy uh, there would be the the chasing of the customers or chasing finding the customers all that stuff Uh, and that seems i expect that to be very stressful at least when the customers don't line up so there's no work at all for a while on the other hand i could amass a, a horde not as in for the horde but as in stuff dragon sleep on 
And then I could live on that when I don't have customers so, or clients. Uh, so that's one one part. The other part is that I, if I had a product business, just getting it, <laughs> getting it above the the water. Mm, that's not an idiom. Uh, getting it working, getting it having an MRR that's reasonable, a monthly recurring revenue. Yes, uh, so that I could live on that. That also seems quite stressful and something that. It's like a marathon in many ways. And I don't think I would take VC money at all because that seems extremely stressful. Yeah, I, I agree. VC money seems genuinely like you're you're inviting outside pressure. Just, yeah, hello, welcome aboard. Uh, please pressure me into success. Yeah, and maybe, maybe that could be good but for some people, but not for me. On the other hand, I'm working at a company which has VC money, so which has taken VC money and needs VC money to survive, or at least angel money. So, hmm. Uh, on the third hand, I can can if everything goes to shit, I can bail that company and start somewhere else, which I probably could my own company too if thing went to shit. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's all in my head. So there, there is certainly an element of sort of insulation from from the business concerns when you're an employee. You're not out there trying to raise that money. You don't have to be. Indeed, I I have a an excellent CEO that's out there raising the money. Yeah, those are those can be nice to have. Oh yes, <laughs> so they're very motivated apparently. Indeed. He is for sure. Um, yeah, he is a force of nature. Running, when running your own business, so doing the consultancy track, and that's really what I can speak to because I do not have a successful product with a, a rar uh, that can that we can speak of. But doing the consultancy thing or the freelance thing, there is certainly a tension anytime. You leave a proposal any time you have a sort of sales call. It does start, it becomes milder the less you need it. And essentially after your first client, you would probably not be under pressure anymore. And if you had some spare cash when when you decided to go consultant, you wouldn't really have that pressure at all, but you would probably still feel it just because it's new and weird. But having that margin brings a certain calm with time, uh, or that's been my experience. Like if you're very, if you struggle a lot with anxiety, I think it can be very difficult. I don't think I have much of an anxiety problem. I, I can feel anxious, but I don't, like I, I have many challenges, but anxiety does not seem to be one of them. Like I, I can certainly be uncomfortable when, when things are up in the air. Like when I've sent a proposal, I'm always a little bit a flutter and, who, 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 what's gonna happen? Who, 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 what's gonna happen? And a little bit concerned because you can't sort of take them back. You can't change things. Uh, what if I asked way too much? Like. I turn into human again. That's super awkward. But oh no! <laughs> God damn it, human again. Um, 
but as long as you reach the point where you have the margin to say no and start selecting for what you actually want like oh i want to work with this language or i want to work with companies of this size or i actually mostly enjoy doing this kind of work and you start narrowing that down and start realizing that you can get what you actually want to do and i think that's the case for most developers that if they tried they would get those results just due to there's a lot of demand out there a lot of demand for many different kinds of things, especially in software development. So if you, if you start narrowing that down and start finding your sort of path and, and what kind of approach you want to take, yeah, I've, I felt like the, the stress of making it work has lessened and lessened. Uh, and one part of that is that it's a damn privilege to be a software developer in many cases because there's such a demand and we're really well compensated for our work <laughs> like it's not the same if you're a designer it's not the same if you're a if you're a copywriter it's definitely not the same if you're a personal trainer or massage therapist <laughs> which are also small businesses but it's a heck of a different ra race to to make that work I wouldn't know, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> I've spoken to I've spoken to a personal trainer. He definitely did not have my margins. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Ima imagine charging, let's say, max uh, sixty to seventy percent of what a software developer would charge per the hour, and you literally have to m physically move for that most of that hour and you can probably not do clients back to back entirely so okay maybe you charge that hourly rate per 45 minutes or 50 minutes but yeah it's it's an intense game compared to software development and you probably can't fill all your hours and it's really not as flexible <laughs> there's there's a lot to it for anyone that charges by essentially by the hour but only get gets like one client one hour. That's a different ball game than software development as a business. Yeah, it's a matter of scale. Yeah, like margin brings a lot of comfort. It's very reassuring to have some margin. I can see why. And the safety net is pretty good as a software developer. It's like, oh, no, I hate running my own business. This sucks. Maybe I can get a job. Is it hard to get a job as a software developer? Not currently. Yeah. I can even be picky with what I do. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, if I have a bit of patience so I can... It's all about being willing to say no. Yeah. But what most interests you about the idea of running your own business? I think it's flexibility. Deciding a lot. For myself and there's also uh, some kind of romantic new notion of, around it so uh, i think i'll have to to shop that off too uh, it's run it's the running a business tree need to prune the branches also i found that 
uh, being a consultant in a big consultancy shop was, or a consultancy company, was kind of frustrating <laughs> compared to being my own. Because when I was my own, I could do everything from from where I found a customer or a client or a client found me uh, until uh, the point where I got paid and uh, we parted as friends or bitter enemies for life. Um, I don't have many enemies for life. Yet. Good stuff. Yet. <laughs> There's still time. You're young. Yeah. Enemies for life incorporated. And But it was frustrating to have have all this, this buffering people between me and the client. I couldn't talk to them directly. I couldn't go there and say, okay, so you need this, this and this. I can give you some of this, but not all of this. Let's talk about it. Because there was a sales dude in the middle doing much of that conversation. And he wasn't good enough at tech to be able to really do the the sales properly i thought and that's in that's interesting this sort of tells me that you seem to care about the end to end process and i think that's i do that's a good sign for wanting to run your own business so one of the things that i found less stressful is that i set the terms that I agree to. And if I really screw up that communication, at least it's my own fault. Yep. Uh, if I need to have an awkward conversation due to that, that's also my fault. But at least I don't... It's like it removes all these layers of indirection and confusion and like, oh, but whose responsibility is it anyway? Like, no, it's your responsibility. Yours or theirs. Someone, if someone screwed up, it's either you, you or them. And that clarifies a lot of things. But also, one thing I've always felt frustrated and stressed about in at work is if there are parts of something that I find don't work or work poorly, and I have no impact on it. Or if the work I'm doing day to day doesn't actually matter much. Or I'm stuck building something that doesn't matter much. That frustrates me enormously. And I can avoid that in a different way when I'm on the line for it. <laughs> Just taking ownership of the things I want to own anyway. <laughs> and then then you also remove all the middlemen that want to cut. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And also... It clarifies so many things for me. Yeah. And if you can can be a part of the sales process and say, I will... And do all the, the whys. And try to, to get to the core of the problem. And leave the... What's the name for that? Uh, it's not proposition. It's almost proposal. With lots of zeros in them. Uh, so the client really values what you do then it's it's it should be good it should at least be better than well it's just one of lots of consultants that will have to go you're one you're your consultant 200 and uh, we pay 85 bucks an hour for you so we expect this much output yeah uh 
and you can hide behind the mass of people yeah. which is kind of good i mean if you want if you have a need to hide that that's sort of the thing like there are certainly people that are either anxious or uninterested in sort of driving their own destiny or whatever uh, to that extent that running a business can be i really like it i i just prefer having the choice i i prefer having to do the work i prefer staying like i'm easily bored so that helps as well because it's less boring the more you're on the hook <laughs> so it's exactly it's like i feel very much much alive running a business compared to the more dull parts of doing a job and i've had good jobs that i i really enjoyed and that was usually like the best parts of those jobs was when i also felt like i could make an impact like what i chose to do and how i chose to it mattered and i don't think that's necessarily for everyone i don't think it's a magical ability that i have i don't think it's necessarily rare but i also get that some people just don't want a ton of responsibility some people know that they don't feel well on their own some don't want to work on their own some want to work in a team or some want to be part of a larger whole that achieves something cool i've always been a little bit of doing my own thing yeah it's very easy to end up like that i've found that i'm very bad at not taking responsibility maybe that's one of my character flaws should put it on my resume or talk about it in in uh, interviews work interviews that's where i see also an upside like if you know you're going to be taking responsibility at least get paid for it indeed so either take a lead role where the compensation is better because of the responsibility or take a man like uh, top level decision maker founder's role in something small but cool or run your own business and but if you're going to be taking ownership and you have the skills to to do that at a high level then i think there there's more to be more to be gained from from sort of running a business or or similarly at least acknowledging and tackling that ownership thing like if you're gonna if you're going to take responsibility uh make sure you're getting something for that that sounds like a good plan yeah so i really enjoyed running a business i think you would too um but I, it seems like you're you're pretty comfortable where you are for now and uh I, i'm not gonna stress you on it but um yeah, yeah uh, it's a fun thing running your own business it's also sometimes hard and frustrating and tricky and i'm i'm very very glad to have have a significant other that i can discuss business with it's, she doesn't care necessarily so much about software business but because she's she's an accountant by trade talking about how to run a business which is probably the least appreciated uh, sort of party conversation or chit chat people don't want to hear about your company and you really really have a 
if you're me, you really have a need for talking about your company. So find people to talk talk to about these things because no one else can relate and it's obnoxious. But thankfully, she has a bit of an interest in in the business part of running a business just due to her trade and uh, that's that's uh, i'm super glad to have that that should make your marriage work out better yeah it, it would be I, I wouldn't really enjoy enjoy it if it was like yeah he does the weird tech things and that's how we make a living but she doesn't care about what it is Indeed. like she's she's well well involved and well uh, what do you say in förstod yeah <laughs> yeah she she's plenty involved in the business uh and owns the biggest chair next to mine in it so that's that's very good as common interest is important i've heard yeah especially as as we're making our living that way yeah, it's, it's important. <laughs>